Hi, welcome to James Miller Lifeology, where you learn to simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. My name is James Miller. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and a composer. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Let's get started. I wanted to take just a quick moment to thank you all who continually support and listen to James Miller Lifeology. I have been so blessed and honored by your continual support. I wanted to make sure that you don't miss out on anything exciting that's happening over here. So make sure you sign up for my free newsletter at jamesmillerlifeology.com. I have a great show for you today. I'm going to help you find focused determination. I'll also be interviewing Grammy Award nominee, pianist Carol Rosenberger, who reviews her book, To Play Again, a memoir of musical survival. This book will inspire you to overcome any obstacle you may face, as well as give you the courage to hold fast to your own dreams. For more information about Carol, please visit delosmusic.com. You may also purchase Carol's book on Amazon or in the store at jamesmillerlifeology.com. I have some exciting news. Did you know that I'm on the radio three times a week? You may hear me on the same station on Tuesdays at 1.30 p.m., Fridays at 9.30 a.m., and Saturdays at 12.30 p.m. You may also hear me anytime on iHeartRadio as well as on all the other major podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and many others. Simply search for the show name, James Miller Lifeology. Are you struggling today to find your purpose? Has mediocrity set in and you can't imagine doing the same thing for the rest of your life? Are your relationships struggling or you aren't sure how to make long lasting changes in your life? Then today, contact me, James Miller. I will help you recognize the areas in your life that are going really well. And then we'll look at the areas in which you are struggling. We will create actionable solutions to help you create long lasting changes in your life. You don't have to do this alone. Go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com and click on the page, work with James. Fill out the form and it will be sent directly to me. Don't let another day go by without finding your way. Your change can start today. Once again, go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com and click on the page, work with James. Fill out that form to get started today. Focused determination. We all have hopes and dreams that we believe will come true. When we close our eyes, we know that it's going to happen. Unfortunately, well-meaning people can talk us out of those dreams. They can tell us there's no way you'll be able to do that or your dream is too big. If we believe those comments, Unfortunately, many times our dreams will die stillborn. It's so important to surround yourself with individuals who will support your dreams, who will believe with you, even when it seems like your dreams aren't going to come to pass. What you tell yourself determines the strength of your determination. Your self-talk is one of the most powerful gifts you can give yourself. Your self-talk is essentially the self-encouragement you speak to yourself. For example, if I have a dream that I believe is going to come true, but if I suddenly have self-doubt, and I start to listen to that self-doubt, unfortunately, my determination is going to decrease. So my self-talk is essentially, James, the situation you're facing may seem dire, but you know in your heart that your dream is going to come true. You know that regardless of situations, things are going to work in your favor. When I continually speak those words aloud, it helps decrease the self-doubt I may have and helps increase the determination I do feel. Sometimes situations look dire. It seems as if there's no way out. But remember, a situation can change at any moment. Often we feel as if what we're experiencing right now is going to last forever. And in my field, that's called emotional forecasting. When we forecast our future based off of what we feel right now, sometimes it looks pretty dire. So my encouragement to you today is if you're experiencing something that feels like it's never going to end, that is an emotional snapshot that you're forecasting into your future. That will change. So it's important to hold fast to your determination. Remember, circumstances change all the time. Your personal self-talk is going to help you overcome any self-doubt you may face. 
Another tool is when you're going to sleep. The different brain waves that we have allow for us to be influenced. One of the best times to influence yourself is just before you fall asleep. There are what called theta brain waves. Just before you fall into unconsciousness, that is a time for you to focus on whatever outcome you're looking for. Whatever dream you have, visualize yourself doing that. Visualize yourself at the pinnacle of what that dream may be. And as you hold fast to that dream, just as you fall asleep, that becomes the last snapshot that your conscious mind has and your subconscious focuses on that during your rest. And when that happens, it starts to help you find solutions to problems. It gives you creativity. It gives you insight into how to achieve that dream. That is one of the most powerful times that your subconscious is going to really help you through this time. So when you're awake, it's important for you to focus on your dream, regardless of what individuals or circumstances may say. Hold fast to your focus determination. And when you fall asleep, hold fast to that picture in your mind. And the more often you do that, the closer and closer your dreams will come true. You determine your future. Did you know I have a YouTube channel? That's actually how Lifeology started. I have well over 155 episodes that I've created specifically for you. I do know that many people struggle with listening to a full 30-minute show. So these episodes are about three minutes long. Each episode will give you a practical tool or technique that you can practice daily to help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. Simply go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com, or go to YouTube and search for my name, James Miller Lifeology. Ravishing Elegant Pianism wrote the New York Times about today's guest, pianist Carol Rosenberger, whose four-decade concert career is represented by over 30 recordings on the Delos label. Many are enduring favorites worldwide and have brought her a Grammy Award nomination, Gramophone Critics' Choice Award, Stereo Review's Best Classical Compact Disc, and Billboard's All-Time Great Recording. She's here today to talk about her book, To Play Again, a memoir of musical survival. This book will inspire you to overcome any obstacles you too may face. Welcome to my show, Carol. Thank you, James. I'm delighted to be here. I am as well. I don't think you know this about me, but I'm also a pianist myself. I'm a composer as well. So for me to have someone as amazing as you, I'm a little, I'm a little awestruck here because your technique is phenomenal. So I'm really honored to have you on my show today. Oh, thank you. And I actually had uh, a little uh, pre preview that you started uh, being a musician very, very early, as I did. did I. I think we share that. <laughs> well, that is good. At least I have that. I mean, obviously, you went way beyond me, but that is phenomenal. <laughs> so tell me about that. So how old were you when you started? Well, my earliest memory uh, of the piano is of crawling over to it, is actually of hanging on to it way up above my head, hanging on to the keyboard structure and playing one note at a time with the other hand. So oh, I wasn't really? even walking Oh, yet. my gosh. It fascinated me, you know. Wow. And, uh, and I just listened to those tones, to those notes that I could, that I could hear by just pushing down the various keys, you know. And, and it just it drew me in, and, and it changed my life. Wow. That, that's amazing. Know? So as you were growing up, you know, most kids, elementary age or middle school, high school, they have all these other hobbies and things that they do. Did you find that yours was always a piano? The piano was central, mm -hmm. yes, and uh, I even started teaching when I was mm, 12. Oh my 13. gosh, Carol. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I would, I would see the neighborhood kids 
uh, not doing well in some way or other or feeling that they weren't doing something right or something. And I thought, wait a minute, it should be fun at that age. <laughs> I could help them. And so I started helping them. And next thing I knew, I was I was I had a whole class of students. <laughs> <laughs> this is terrible. 12 years old. I love it. That is really <laughs> I told them I told them to just anytime they walked by the piano, just just to try it, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it was. And they didn't have to. And I and I talked to all the parents and said, don't tell them they have to practice some special amount of time. Just let it be fun at this age. And so they said, OK. Well, how wise were you? <laughs> My gosh, 12 years old. I hated playing at 12 years old. But that is so neat that you did that. And it's actually interesting because you started your whole pedagogy, your version of how to teach. That is so cool that that happened. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted everybody else to enjoy as much as possible this wonderful thing that I had discovered so early and and that that was so central to my life. And I thought they can have a wonderful time with it if somebody isn't telling them all the time that sure. they're doing something wrong. You sure. know? Well, that's kind of like the whole aspect when kids rebel. You have put so many rules on them. They're like, I don't want to do it. So it's kind of the same yeah. thing. You tell them you have to do this. And most kids are pretty are not willing to kind of follow through with that. And they lose their drive. Right. Right. Yeah. So I wanted this to be something different. I said to the parents, look, they get that all day in school when they when they come home and and uh, to the piano, let them just have fun with it for a while. Did you find it was a huge escape for you as well as you were growing up? I don't know if I'd say escape. It was just it it was a necessity in my Mm, life. Sure. (laughs) Just like breathing. I get that. Yeah, Yeah, I understand. That is so neat. Okay, so you finished high school, and I know at 21, some major things happened for you. I'm assuming you went off to university for music. Yes. Yes, it was Carnegie Mellon, and I went there to study oh, wow. with a particular teacher uh, uh, who uh, was very uh, exacting and all, and uh, and sort of uh, helped me to refine what I was doing, because I had always played with tremendous abandon, and, and he helped me to refine what I was doing, and uh, uh, so I was sort of ready to go. Of course, I had been performing since my mid-teens, but but I was ready to enter competitions, and, and I wanted to play for the great Nadia Boulanger, which mm. is why I was there at Fontainebleau that summer of 1955. And uh, uh, I was having a, a wonderful experience with her she didn't have much time to listen to people individually but she she uh, gave me that honor and wow. uh, i was really excited about the things she said and um next thing i knew uh i had this awful pain in my left arm and uh i was rushed to the hospital with a fever and trembling and pain and everything, it turned out that it was a, an attack of paralytic polio. So you were in the middle of performing for her and that happened? Well, well, no, I was, I was in between a couple of sessions, but I mean, oh, I was, was there at Fontainebleau and I was mm-hmm. working on, on the piece of music that I had played for her, mm-hmm. <laughs> which happened to be the Chopin Funeral March Sonata. Now, oh my some, gosh, yes. Some people say that is unlucky, but but <laughs> <laughs> well, I can kind of see that now that you say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I don't think that's what brought on the polio virus, uh, but uh, uh, they it turned out that the virus itself, the paralytic stage of the polio virus, attacks uh, those motor neurons, kills mm. motor neurons yeah, wow. that have been most in use, most. Active oh, really? I didn't realize that. Immediately prior to the paralytic 
uh, uh, to, to the paralytic polio virus attack. And so, you know, little kids who had problems with their legs and, you know, lower, a lot of lower body problems when they had polio as kids. For me at 21, I was practicing the piano all the time. Mm. So it exactly those oh motor sounds that I most needed to play the piano. Yes, which of course is a musical death sentence. Yes, exactly, exactly. So here you are, that's for your life, that's your world, that is your everything. Like we said earlier, it's like what you needed almost like to breathe. So yes. here you are, you're over at this amazing, you're over in France doing this competition or being a part of it, playing for this amazing person. And then all of a sudden you, ha- you rush to the hospital, you wake up or you have this paralytic polio. How did you even deal with that? Well, I, I think uh, I went into, I was in enough shock uh, that I just uh, kept thinking I would I would find a way out, and the the doctor who was there at the hospital who who was in charge of my case uh, kept saying, "Well, just keep trying." Uh, what else could he say to somebody yeah, sure. who's been devastated like that? And that's all I needed to hear. Okay, so I need to keep trying. Okay. You and grasp I, for hope in anything you uh, could hear. Of yes. course. Of course you would. Yes. And, uh, and subsequent um, visits to medical professionals, uh, <laughs> in, in, every one, in every case, they would say, look, you're an intelligent girl. You can do something else. Oh. And I thought, something else? No way. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I could, but I don't want to. You sure. know? And, and I think in that moment, that's a really defining moment for people. And, and I'm not judging anybody else who makes, makes a different decision. But for you, that was, you had the ability to say, you're right, I could do something else. Let me do something else. Or, no, I'm going to do everything I can to be the person I feel I'm supposed to be. And I think yeah. that is such a powerful, uh, really a, a fork in the road decision that people have is in that moment, what do you do? How do you hold to your truth regardless of what people say? Yes. And I had not just one medical expert, but several say the same thing to mm-hmm. me. You know, yes, you've made some progress. Yes, this physical therapy uh, a series has done you some good, and you can do such and such better and so on. But still, uh, you should turn to a different profession. Well, or, what even would you have done? Uh, I never gave it a thought, James. <laughs> good for you. <laughs> Not that that was a true question, but I was just curious. <laughs> I was just determined to get this back. And, wow. and then, oh, let's say about three years after the attack... I found when I went home to finally then to spend a little time with my parents in Michigan, um, I I found that um, I could still teach, even things I couldn't do. Yeah. I could enable mm. um, other other young students, you know, which I had done in my teens. Yeah. I could enable uh, uh, young students to make progress at the piano and to be delighted in doing so. And so I thought, okay, so what I what I will be doing is teaching. Of course, I'm going to keep trying to um, to get back anything I can possibly get back. Sure. And uh, and so I went on that way. And I really thought that I was headed for teaching until, oh, let's see, it was probably six, seven years after, something like that, after the attack. I met this wonderful psychologist. By that time, I had moved to California. Mm-hmm. 
I met this wonderful psychologist who uh, was a great music lover, and she and her husband, who had died recently, uh, just before I met her, uh, had huge record collection of <laughs> the artists that I had had loved and listened to, and and we just we couldn't stop talking about all that. And she thought that I had something to say as a pianist, and mm. I said, but but but. She said, well. Uh, let's. Uh, why don't you play something for for a couple of my friends and let's see and let's share it with them. It will mean so much to them. She kept saying, "Well, okay." So I wasn't focused on on my own problems as much as what could I do for these friends of hers who ah, were sure. difficult in difficult. She's situations. clever, this woman. <laughs> yes, all day long for helping disadvantaged children and ch- children mm. who gone astray, you know, broken the law in some way, and that their families, and they had such devastating things to deal with that I thought, okay, if I can get through this Schubert Sonata, or if I can get through, you know, this 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 uh, Bach Prelude and Fugue, or whatever it was, and give them some pleasure, then then this this gave me purpose. Wow. And I think that's the, that's the key, is you found purpose. Yes. I think if, if without that rudder in our life, we will just be aim, aim in any direction, just grab whatever we can, even though it's not meeting yeah. our needs, but we're just like, I don't, I don't know what else to do, even though I want this, but I don't know what to do. So I'm glad she was helped. She really helped you find that purpose. I did have a question though. So could you move your hands at all? Oh, yes. Yes, I could move my hands, but I didn't have the, the technique. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Cause at your level, the level, the, uh, the technique you have and your level, it's like, it's crazy. It, and I'm, what I mean by that is it's so refined. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's so refined where like clumsy fingers like mine are like not as refined as yours. So I, I can't imagine what that would even be like to, you know, to strike a key and to think it's at this, at this velocity and all of a sudden it's like not. <laughs> it's it's not and, and if I do it at all, it's all wrong. It felt oh, all gosh. wrong because I was using the wrong muscles or you know mm, the sure. reflexes wrong they, they weren't just, just just weren't there so so i had to rebuild a whole new set of reflexes and i found a way to do it and uh i don't know if you want me to describe yeah, i'd like to hear more about that that's interesting okay well uh the key to it was preparing to play for one or two people okay uh right. so the mindset. and the psychologist okay mm-hmm. and um I, I realized that even though I had lived inside this piece of music, as I called it, in other words, I could think through it, I needed to be able to think through it very slowly, and I needed to be able to restart at any point where the reflexes just went, blah, you know, went crazy. Ah, okay. I needed to be able to restart a phrase or, or, or whatever. And uh, so I had to have starting places all the way through the piece uh, to make myself feel comfortable enough to try to play it for someone with these sort of reflexes that didn't work yet, you know. And um, so I prepared very carefully for it and and uh, found that when in the adrenalized state, and, mm-hmm. and believe me, I got into the adrenalized mm-hmm. state even trying to play for one or two people. Sure. You know, and I, you know, you know, in that adrenalized state, you probably know that that everything seems to slow down. Mm-hmm. That's the fight or flight. <laughs> yes. So everything seems to slow down. So I had the time to find a new reflex, something I had never, something I had never tried to get this 
passage to sound better, I would suddenly, I would try something, and if it didn't work, I knew I could go back. Uh, But gradually, through many, many such informal, quotes, performances, I was able to find my way uh, to some new um, reflexes that would enable me, in other words, using the motor neurons that hadn't been killed, Mm -hmm. right? And asking them to do things they were never meant to do and building that in. And that's what I did. Wow. And I love how the people obviously understood that this was a process for you as well and made it very informal. We're we're very compassionate, loving and accepting of you. And I mean, just to be able to sit there and listen, knowing that you're doing something that you weren't able to do maybe, you know, a few years before that, or just doing something that it's moving you one step closer. I mean, how exciting would, I would feel so excited about that to sit there and watch you and listen to you as you make this progress in your brain. How, how fascinating. Yeah, they were, they were wonderful. Uh, the, the, these, these friends of Amelia Haygood, she was the psychologist I mentioning and, uh, and her, her friends and colleagues were just wonderful in that way. And, uh, uh, finally, um, uh, I went to, uh, I went to visit a friend of mine in Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and then I went on to to New York to visit another friend of mine, and uh, I had a suggestion from my friend in Michigan to go and play for a manager. Now this was what was this nine years, eight years, something like that, nine years after the polio, okay, mm-hmm. attack, and I thought, oh, for like nineteen sixty three, sixty four, huh? Yeah, yeah, and I thought, oh, for heaven's sake, why in the world would anybody <laughs> be interested in what I have, you know? And, but I thought, well, it was so nice of my friend. He he cared a lot, and it was so nice of him to suggest the, the meeting. I thought, okay, I'll go. What, what, what do I have to lose? So I went and uh, met this nice man by the name of Sherman Pitlock, and he immediately wanted to hear me play. And I thought, uh-oh, well, okay. <laughs> All right, okay, nothing to lose, Carol. Nothing I'm so to lose. nervous here now, Carol. I'm so nervous <laughs> for the story. Are you getting nervous? Oh, yeah, good. I am. I was. I was. <laughs> and so I played for him, and he said, I want my colleague to hear you. And so he brought in, uh, he, uh, he was, uh, Sherman was, uh, handled artists' tours for the U.S., and his colleague handled tours uh, for American artists in, in Europe. And so he said, I want my colleague to hear you. And I thought, huh. And so his colleague came in and I played some, some, you know, something else. And they uh, said, okay, um, we think you should start in Europe. And I thought, oh, Oh no, wait a minute. I'm breathing. This is totally unreal. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and and Bichurin, he spoke with a Russian accent. <laughs> <laughs> you should start in Europe, and I will see what I can get for you. You know, and so, so. And, and I mean, I went I went out of there thinking, yeah, this is some kind of dream. And um, and it wasn't long before uh, Bichurin came up with uh, a, a a tour for wow. a European tour for for the following season. Or for later that for actually for later that season, and uh, so of course I was scrambling to get ready, and I uh, I don't know how <laughs> to do this. And Amelia was was having sessions with me, saying just see the audience is friendly, yes. just the way you do here. And she was just so reassuring. 
Anyway, so I went off and thought, well, here goes nothing. And and I played uh, the first time in Stockholm. And that's the only of the whole tour, starting in Stockholm and ending in Athens, for heaven's sake, and, wow. and playing several cities in Europe. And that was the only one in which they told me what the reviews had been afterwards. And she said, well, the reviews were all bad. And I thought, well, what did I expect? You know. Sure. So then I went on and played all the others uh, and ended up in Athens and then went back to California. And um, then I got, uh, in the mail, I got translated reviews from all of the, of the concerts. Oh, gosh. And they were magnificent. Oh, my gosh, really? Why would they say they were bad then? It was only Stockholm. Oh, only Stockholm. The okay. only one I knew about. Oh, gosh. And, wow. And, and what they said, what Stockholm said, and I've laughed about it ever since when, once I found out what it was, uh, that I was like all other American pianists, all technique and no soul. <laughs> they only knew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. And that's, I mean, that's kind of funny in the sense of knowing your story on this side of it. It's like, seriously, people. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Wow, all technique. That is, but I, in a way, I think that's kind of a compliment to be able to have that much technique, even though you had to rework everything. So in a way, it was kind of like the best review you could get. I know, I know, and they hadn't <laughs> clue because I, I, I didn't tell Sherman about the polio. I didn't. Oh, tell you didn't. Oh my Sherman goodness. About the polio. I told no one about the polio. Wow. Back. I was so afraid that they would think I was some lesser pianist mm-hmm. if they knew. About, you know. And so I wanted, you know, them to just come to it fresh, sort of. And uh, so then Sherman got in touch with me and said, well, I've got some review quotes and I'm all ready to start getting dates for you and ready to sign you up. And my artist roster, I thought, wait a minute, I'm dreaming. And (laughs) and then as I thought about it, I thought, oh, I've never told him about the polio. Oh. He may not want to deal with somebody who's handicapped. Or, uh, Interesting, you know. sure. And so I flew to New York and said, Sherman, I just, you know, I just said I'd like to come and, and we can discuss the future, kind of. I was very vague. And so we had a nice dinner. And, and um, at the end of the dinner, I said, uh, Sherman, there's something I have to tell you. <laughs> And he was, he was very cheerful. He said, oh, what? And so I told him about the polio. And I thought, okay, if, if he doesn't want to sign, to sign the contract, I'm fine with that. And I let him know that. Mm-hmm. On the contrary, he said, I can't wait to tell. He said, what a story. I can't wait to tell so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so about it. And so I just, I just went with what he wanted to do. Uh, Carol, this and- is so inspiring. This is this is an amazing, <laughs> amazing story. I mean, it's I can't wait for my listeners to purchase this book to play again, a memoir of musical survival. Unfortunately, our time is up. I would love to hear more oh. about this, but I know it's <laughs> going to be all in the book and they can purchase the book. But if my listeners would like to find out more information about you, hear your amazing recordings, purchase this book one more time to play again, a memoir of musical survival, where would they find this information online? Uh, they can go to Amazon for everything. Uh, the Delos DelosMusic.com website can direct them to various sources and also has my recordings and my book. Uh, and uh, those are probably the best ways. They're, they're also uh, in digital distribution. So if anybody has a streaming service, uh, the music is uh, in the streaming services, uh, they'll find a lot of a lot of my recordings there as well. Excellent. Well, Carol, what I'm going to do as well is my listeners know that I typically put 
the books that are connected to Amazon. I usually put them in the store at jamesmillerlifeology.com. So if people aren't able to find Carol's book any other place, once again, the name of the book is To Play Again, A Memoir of Musical Survival. Simply go to the store at jamesmillerlifeology.com and they can find it there. Carol Bert Rosenberger, thank you so much for being a guest today. I was truly inspired by your story. Oh, thank you so much, James. It was a delight to talk with you. I also want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you joined with us today, or please go to my website where you may sign up for my free newsletter, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, or you may enroll in the Lifeology Academy where you can take self-directed courses which will help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. If you'd like to personally work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, simply visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support and I'll talk to you soon.